wow, there's something that happens when God touches you. There's something that happens when God fills you. And my message this morning is called Encountering God's Transforming Presence. Oh, because I don't know about you, but I need to encounter his transforming presence more and more. I need him. I need, to, I need to become like him. I need to think like him. I need to be challenged by him. I need to change and be transformed into his image. I need Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to do something. I'm going to invite you to put your hand on your neighbor next to you. Safe touch. Top of their shoulder. Top of their heads. Something like that. I'm going, to, I'm going to get you to pray this prayer. I want you to say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit fill my friend. Fill my friend. They, need you, they need you. And they need help. They need help. Okay, put, your, put one hand on your head, one hand on your heart. We're going to pray that over ourselves now. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit come and fill me. Fill me. Encounter me. Encounter me. Ah, change me. Change. Challenge me. And transform me. And make me like you. Amen. I need help. That's right. I need help. Over and over and over. I need help. That is my prayer. I need help. My wife is probably saying, yes, you do. And I would agree with you, honey. I need help. Ah, wow. Isn't it amazing that when we speak, when we lay our hands on our neighbors, when we lay our hands on ourselves... The God of the universe, the God of power, the God of dynamite, the God who is alive and working and holding all things together is filling us and transforming us and changing us. It's phenomenal. I don't ever want to take prayer lightly. I don't ever want to think of God as cute or God as fluffy or God as this uh, nice, old, gentle guy in the sky. No, he's a God of power. He's a God of wisdom. He's a God of strength. And he's a God who's called us and loves us. And it's phenomenal. And this morning, I'd like to uh, share with you about a little bit about uh, the story of a young man. But before I do, I just want to say um, I'm so proud to be part of such an incredible church family. You guys are absolutely incredible. Um, generous and kind and loving. And because of your generosity, both in time and um, in giving, we have been able to go to some of our friends who have been displaced at McDougal Terrace in Durham. For those of you who don't know, there was a housing crisis. McDougal Terrace is the largest government-run housing in Durham, and people have had to evacuate because of some of the conditions there. And we've been able to go to the hotels where they're staying, bring them food, bring them supplies. And more than that, be able to love them and pray with them and get to know them and build relationship with them. And share that they have a future and a hope because (laughs) they are not limited by their socioeconomic status. People may look down on them. The world may judge them. But our message is that Jesus loves them and Jesus has a hope and a plan and a future for them just like he has for each and every single one of us. And so we've been able to connect with some of them over the past uh, couple of weeks or so, some of our friends. And then also last week we took up an offering and we are able to send just short of $10,000 to our friends Carlos and Catherine Rodriguez in Puerto Rico to help with some of the 
We're building efforts to help people gain access to water, to help people um, with blankets and sleeping bags and um, solar power, and it is just absolutely phenomenal. So thank you. Thank you for giving. Thank you for loving. Thank you for um, being willing to say yes. And the more I think about this, the more I realize that we can never say yes except that God has said yes to us first. Before you ever said yes to him, he said yes to you. I sometimes think it's funny when we say, when did you accept Jesus into your life? Because the reality is, is you could not have accepted Jesus had he not accepted you first. He, you could not have said yes had he not said yes to you first. And I'm so grateful that he has called me and chosen me and said, John, I choose you. John, come and follow me. And today, I want to look at the story of a young man named Saul. Saul who encountered Jesus. Saul who had his life changed by Jesus. And we're going to look at how this happened and what this means for us as well. So I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And my Bible is page 895. I think that may help you. Uh, If you're unsure where to go, turn to the New Testament Uh, Go past the first four books, the four Gospels, and you will then enter the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, which actually I think maybe it's misnamed, and Peter Wagner said this, he said that it should actually be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because the book of Acts is over and over and over again how God encounters people. So I'd like to look at this. Before I do, I've got to set the stage for you. I have to help you understand about our young friend named Saul. See, Saul was born in Tarsus, and he was born to the tribe of Benjamin, which in Israel had a very good standing. Had, uh, they were, the Benjamites were seen as upper crust, upper class. They had a great reputation. And Saul, as he was growing up, he would have been raised in the synagogue. He would have been raised at the feet of religious teachers. You could almost say that he was a church kid. He was raised in church. Um, As he was growing up, somewhere between the ages of 10 to 14, he decided to go into religious work full time. And so he got apprenticed to a teacher named Gamaliel ben Hillel. And Gamaliel is a very influential thinker, just like we have schools of thought today. You know, if you're looking at philosophy, you can look at the Aristotle school of philosophy. You can look at the uh, Stoic school of philosophy, the Socrates, uh, Plato, so on and so forth. Uh, And same with Judaism. In this time, you had people, rabbis, who would have entire schools of thought devoted to them. And so Saul gets accepted into this almost an internship. He's starting to get trained. He's starting to get mentored. He gets accepted somewhere between the ages of 10 to 14 years old. Cool. We hear that. We go, great. Is there anyone who's between 10 to 14 years old in here? There's a couple couple hands. Great. Um, Let me tell you what what Saul has done by the time he gets accepted into this training. He has memorized the entire Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible. Completely memorized it. Front and back. I don't know about you, but I struggle memorizing a verse. When I was 10 to 14 years old, I was struggling memorizing my times tables. 
and Saul has memorized the entire first five books of scripture, gets accepted into this training program, and then in the training program, he proceeds to go ahead and memorize the entire Old Testament, otherwise known as the Tanakh. He memorizes all the books. Now, I'm not talking about the easy books, Philemon, Jude, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, the six-chapter books, the five-chapter books, the one-chapter... No, he's, me- he's memorizing 60-plus-chapter books. Okay, I'm sorry. You're not with me. He's memorizing 60-plus-chapter books. Right! My mind is blown. Especially because in this day and age, you don't have the chapters and the verses. You have scrolls. And the way that you would be tested, you know, if someone wants to test you, you're... Uh, test how well you know with scripture, they'll turn to it and they'll say, well, brother, what does Acts 10.1 say? And see what you say. That's not, that's not how Saul had to prove that he had memorized it. What would happen is his teacher, his trainer, would begin reciting a passage in scripture. And Saul would have to pick it up and continue. He was Google before there was Google. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I just remember a fragment, and I'm like, uh, Google, what is this? Oh, there it is. Boom. Not Saul. So I'd be like, boom, I know it. Boom, schooled. Because the reality is, is he is also in training with a whole bunch of other young men. And what they're doing is they're debating, they're studying, they're, uh, they're in academia. They are saying, this is what it means to be followers of God. This is what it means that God has chosen us. This is what... And Saul is on this career path that is offering fame, maybe not so much fortune, but I'm sure he is aware that if he is smart enough, if he, is, if he comes up with this unique twist on this way of looking at things, that he too will have an entire school of thought named after him, that people will want to be with him that he will be sought after. He's on this fast track because he is getting to be quite famous and he's wise, he's smart, he's quick. And so Saul has everything going for him, everything right. He's got a great pedigree, comes from a great family. He is an Israelite through and through, studied, knows the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And he begins to hear rumblings about this new cult, this new way that people are following. They were literally called the followers of the way. They weren't creative that, that creative back then. So they're like, oh, this is a new way. You're the followers of the way. And he begins to hear rumblings about these people who are beginning to say that there was this Jewish carpenter and he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And we are following him. And he doesn't mind it that much. It starts to rankle him a little bit. He starts to go, wait, 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 they're wrong. They're not sticking to the traditions of our fathers. They're not sticking to the traditions of our religion. They're turning their back on our people. But he's not too bothered with it until one day they are converting more people to their way of thinking. And one of them, Stephen, gets pulled in and put in front of the religious council. And Saul is there. And Saul hears the entire debate. Saul sees Stephen. And he, and he hears Stephen. 
begin to talk about why he is following this person named Jesus. And then he begins to hear Stephen start to call out the religious leaders. Stephen starts to say, you are stiff-necked. You have always been hard-hearted. You have always been resistant to God. And at that point, the religious authorities start putting their hands over their ears and screaming because they cannot believe that this young man is blaspheming, is speaking against them. And they all get up, drag Stephen outside the town. They start taking off their robes. They throw it at the feet of Saul, who is standing there witnessing this whole thing. And they began picking up rocks and stoning Stephen. And the Bible says that Saul was there giving approval to his death. And not only did Saul give approval to his death, I think Saul saw this. He said, these people are dangerous. These people have got it all wrong and they need to be snuffed out and I'm going to be the person to do it. And so he begins, and this is where our story picks up in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 verse 1. Now Saul, is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and it will be told to you what you must do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. Side note, you could almost say that he was assaulted. <laughs> And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. We'll end our reading there. But what Saul, what Saul begins to do almost immediately is he begins to go into the same synagogues that he was a part of. He begins to go before the religious authorities, the religious leaders, and he begins to prove to them that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And people are shocked. Wait, sorry. Let's try that again. People are shocked. Right, I know. 
Why? Because this guy who was persecuting the early church has now had an encounter and has changed him. So let's look at this in greater detail. What happens? Saul is Christianity's biggest opponent. He is on a mission. He is going to stop this new cult of religion. He is opposed to the new believers and is dragging converts back to Jerusalem. And yet, on the road to Damascus, something happens. In later, transla- in later accounts, he says that he was approaching the city about midday, around noon. He's used to bright lights. He's used to the sun beating down on him in the Middle East. And yet, something's different now. This bright light flashes around him, and he falls to the ground. And he hears this voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his first response is, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? See, Saul didn't know Jesus, but Jesus knew Saul. Saul didn't know who he was persecuting, but Jesus knew all about him. Jesus had called him. Jesus was calling him. And we don't understand this, but in the Hebrew, whenever you, whenever you call someone by name, you put, their work, you put their name down, obviously. But if you call someone by their name a second time, what it's doing is beginning to denote intimacy. It's denoting friendship. This is why Jesus, when Martha is, uh, comes to him, he says, Martha, Martha. When Jesus is resurrected and he's talking to Peter, he says, Peter, Peter. When he's on his way to Jerusalem, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Anytime you say someone's name a second time, that means that you are inviting them into friendship. That means that you are intimate with them. That means you know them. And Saul must have been taken aback by this person who is calling him by his name twice. This person who is speaking to him like his friend. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul goes, who are you, Lord? Jesus says, I am Jesus. But get up, enter the city, and it will be told to you what to do. I think this is one of the greatest proofs historically for Christianity. That we have someone who is ardently against Christianity, and yet has this encounter with God that changes him, seemingly overnight. And what this does is this gives me great hope. Because no matter how much someone seems resistant to God, no matter how much someone seems fortified against him, no matter how much someone says there is no God, there is no Jesus, he is not Lord, it means that Jesus still knows them. And it means that Jesus is still calling them. And it means that Jesus is still calling them into friendship with him. Jesus is still calling them into relationship with him. And if you had asked Saul this, he would have said to you, why on earth do I need to be converted? I've grown up. I know the entire, I know the scriptures. I know everything. I'm lecturing. I'm telling people. I'm training people. I'm teaching people. And there are some of you in this room that you can say that same thing. You've grown up in church. You know the Bible, but you haven't encountered Jesus. Sitting in church does not make you a Christian any more than sitting in McDonald's makes you a hamburger. As Keith Green has famously said, 
And we don't just need to know the scriptures, we need to know the person behind the scriptures. We need to encounter him and meet him and have him meet us and change us and transform us. Ha, because when you meet the person, everything changes. When you meet the person, things begin to make sense that never made sense before. And if you're in this room and you have never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you gave your life to Jesus and you walked away from him, I'd like to give you an opportunity to come back. And if you'd like to do that, it's really simple. If you just say this with me, Jesus, I give up. Jesus, I stop running from you and I turn to you. Would you come and fill me and heal me? Would you come and encounter me like you encountered Saul on this road? Would you come and speak to my heart? And if you, say, if you prayed that, if you gave your heart to Jesus, if you asked him into your life, Jesus is giving himself to you. And he's calling you. And he's saying, my son, my daughter, come home to me. Walk with me. Speak to me. Because Saul has this encounter, but the encounter alone is not enough to transform him. Because God does something funny. When he encounters us, when you, when you see someone uh, shaking or falling or someone getting so hit by God, we can't always understand it. What Saul does is he goes into the city and he begins to drive the encounter into his heart and into his head. He begins to move it from his head to his heart, from his heart to his head. Because there are some things that God releases to us that he only releases to us spirit to spirit. And our minds and our hearts cannot catch up. I was reading my Bible maybe 10 years ago. And I was reading the book of Galatians. And while I'm reading Galatians, I encountered the Lord. I, I literally felt like my soul was eating food. I said, God, what is this? And God said, John, I'm downloading something to your spirit. It's okay, son. Keep reading. Your mind's going to catch up five years from now. I went, all right. But God, is there a verse that helps me understand that? Because I just don't understand. And God is so good that even in our questions, he comes in his gentleness and moves us to himself. And he took me to 1 Corinthians 2.9. Some of you may know it. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the minds of men what God has conceived for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. Right? How many of you have heard that verse before? Hands up. What's the very next verse? We know that verse. We don't know the very next one. The very next one is, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. And there are some things that the Holy Spirit can download to your spirit, but then it takes time for your mind and your heart to catch up to what God's already doing in your life. And what happens is Paul, Saul gets up from this place. He gets up from this encounter, and he gets led into the city, but, but now he's blind. Now he can't see. And it seems like the God who encountered him is causing trouble for him. Sometimes the encounters of God for your life will actually lead to trial and difficulty and hardship. It's not because God is persecuting you. It's not because he's attacking you. It's because he's teaching you to flourish in him. 
This is why some of you, you, you had a prophetic word. Your marriage is going to be phenomenal. Your marriage is going to bring life to many people. And then it seems like all hell breaks loose in your marriage. This is why some of you, you've had prophetic words about being incredible parents, mothers, fathers. You've had prophetic words about families and relationships. And it seems like all hell starts to break loose. Perhaps it's not God testing you. Perhaps it's God drawing you. Perhaps it's God inviting you to go deeper with him. Because as we look at this, we begin to see Saul. He goes into the city. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink for three days. He's fasting. And we, my friends, we're in a season of fasting. But I know that he's not passively waiting. And I know this because God shows up to Ananias and he says, Saul is praying. So even though Saul doesn't understand it, even though Saul hasn't encountered and changed fully, he is still saying, God, reveal yourself to me deeper. Ah, God, reveal yourself to me deeper. God, take me deeper in you. God, transform me. God, change me. Because the encounter is the place where God touches you. It's what happens after where the transformation begins to change you. The encounter is the place where God... One touch from him changes everything. But then as we go and we drive it into our heads and drive it into our hearts, it begins to come into us. And then we become the encounter for the world. Oh, ha <laughs> ha. Because Saul is doing this. He is searching after God. He is seeking after him. He is saying, show me who you truly are. And I think the words of Jesus really bothered him. Because he's on his way to Damascus, bright lights flash around, he falls on the ground, and he hears these words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus could have said anything besides me. He could have said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my followers? Saul, Saul, leave my disciples alone. Saul, Saul, why are you so grumpy, man? Saul! And yet Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And I think what's happening is that over these three days and three nights, as he's praying, as he's thinking, as he's, as he's not eating, as he's not drinking, the seeds of his theology begin to form. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That means he is present in the body. That means when we gather, he is real and he is here. That means that the entire Old Testament that I memorize is really about him and it's really about what he's going to do to bring us into union with himself. And I think what's happening is that his mind is getting blown over and over again as he is thinking, Saul Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I think, I think what begins to happen is he starts to form theology based around the body of Jesus. And if you read, if you read the Apostle Paul, you will see that over and over again he writes that we are united with Christ that we died with him, being raised with him. We are brought into his newness. 
And Saul is beginning to grasp this. He's beginning to see this. And what, what does that mean? That means that when we gather in a very real way, Jesus is amongst us. That's why I love my Ignite group. That's why I love gathering on a Tuesday night. We just had our first Ignite group meeting on a Tuesday night. And I know we started our fast, but we started with a meal. I will be the first one to admit. But it was amazing. It was amazing seeing people begin to share their story and begin to cry and begin and the group gather around them and, and pray for them. And people begin to connect. Why? Because Jesus is amongst us. And it means that God can release something to us corporately that he could never release something to us individually. And that is why we gather, and that is why we worship, and that is why tonight I'm so looking forward to being able to just raise my hands together with all y'all and say, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, you're beautiful. Jesus, there's no one else because he is real and he is present with us. It means that when we gather in our Ignite groups, it means that when we gather at our workplaces, it means that when we go in our families, go in our schools, wherever it is that we go, Jesus is with us. And we are his body. Not figuratively. I can't, I can't understand it other than he has united us to himself. Wow. So Saul has this encounter. He begins to unpack this encounter and drive it from his head to his heart. And then you have Ananias. And Ananias is a man who is listening to God and God shows up to him, and God says, Ananias, I want you to go, and I want you to put your hands on Saul. And Ananias' response is classic. But Ananias answered, Lord, are you sure? Wait, 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 God, let me remind you. I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. God, are you sure about this? And God says, go. God says, go. Why? Because Ananias knows Saul according to his ears and according to his eyes. But now God invites him to see Saul according to God's eyes. And this is why there's always hope. The people that seem the most fortified, the people that seem the most resistant, the people that seem like the furthest away are actually the ones that God knows and is calling home to him. It's 2020. We just entered a new decade. In 2010, if I told you that Kanye West was going to become a Christian, what would you have said? In 2010, if I told you that Justin Bieber was going to believe, what would you have said? In 2010, if I told you that ISIS leaders are coming to faith in Jesus, what would, I, what would you have said? If I told you that Muslims are, are going to have visions from God and come to him in droves, what would you have said? If I told you that stadiums are going to be selling out in Brazil because of the name of Jesus that's, lifting, that's being lifted high and the youth are going, what would you have said? It's because far too often we know people according to our eyes and our ears, but we don't know them according to the Spirit of God. And that is why some of you, you're struggling with your boss. Well, you need to ask God what he thinks about your boss. You're struggling with your spouse. You need to ask God what he says about your spouse. You're struggling with your kids. Ask God what he says about your kids. 
You're struggling with your political leaders. We're so quick to go, that's right, that's wrong. That's in, that's out. That's good, that's bad. Just like Saul. Just like Ananias was about to do. But wait, God, have you heard? And yet, Ananias is willing to be confronted by the word of the Lord. He is willing to have his heart changed and go to someone who was previously he had considered an enemy, or at the very least had considered him an enemy. And he goes, and the very first thing he says is, Brother Saul, welcome into the family. Brother Saul, you are our brother. Brother Saul, you once were far away, but now you have been brought in. Brother Saul, you maybe were, on, you maybe were far removed. You were maybe uh, resistant. You were maybe opposed even. Maybe you were an opponent. But now you're in. You're united with him, and so you're one of us. And I receive you, and I welcome you. And then he says this, The Lord has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, this is, this is done on purpose. Ah, uh, wow. Because God is not interested in just slightly changing Saul. He's interested in making him brand new. God's not interested in saying, Saul, just take your theology and change it just slightly and you'll be okay. God is interested in encountering him through the person of the Holy Spirit. God is interested in making the Old Testament that he has memorized come alive to him like never before. And the only way that happens is through the person of the Holy Spirit. And God wants to encounter you today. <laughs> it's only through the Holy Spirit that we are changed and we are transformed. God's not interested in you living a slightly better, slightly more moral, slightly more righteous life. He's interested in completely changing you, completely transforming you, so that then you become the tra- agent of transformation around you. And it's only through the Holy Spirit that Saul begins to realize this. Oh, my prayer, my prayer over these next three weeks, church, is that we would encounter the Holy Spirit more. My prayer is that we would know him more. My prayer is that we would be changed by him. My prayer is that we would no longer be the same people we were. But my prayer is also this. You'll sometimes hear me pray, more Holy Spirit. I'm not saying, I want more of you, Holy Spirit. Because then it, makes a, then it makes it sound like the Holy Spirit is a force, an impersonal, inanimate object. He's like the force in Star Wars. I need him to defeat Darth Vader. When I'm saying more, what I'm saying is this. Holy Spirit, have more of me. Holy Spirit, I give you my judgments. Holy Spirit, I give you my fears. Holy Spirit, I give you my anxiety. Holy Spirit, I give you my worry. Holy Spirit, I give you my strength. I give you my talents. Holy Spirit, I need to know you more because I know that when I give myself to you, that I get all of you in exchange. And so I start to become changed and transformed. Holy Spirit, I give myself to you because I know that you are the comforter and you will help me when I'm uncomfortable. Holy Spirit, I give myself to you because I know that you are the advocate and you are speaking on my behalf. 
Holy Spirit, I give myself to you because I know that you are the spirit of love. And I know that if I give myself completely, wholly, utterly to you, that you will come and continue to encounter me over and over and over again. But that my life will never look the same. I will never be the same. I'm no longer that 13-year-old young man that Kate knew. That 13-year-old young man was full, racked with fear, racked with insecurity, racked with guilt, racked with pride. And God, in his goodness, as I've said Lord, I yield, I surrender. Wow, he's come and encountered me over and over and over again. And my life is not the same. And he is going to encounter us and our lives will never be the same. And as a result, Raleigh and Durham and the Triangle will never be the same because we have encountered the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who makes the scriptures come alive in ways that we could never see. And what he's inviting us into is to a deeper encounter with him so that we can encounter deeper transformation. I'd like to invite you. There's two things I'd like to invite you to do. The first is to join us. We have an encounter weekend coming up this next coming weekend. That would be one of the single best weekends you could do in your life. Because we will encounter God and transformation is going to continue. We have three tracks. We have an advanced track for uh, deliverance if you've already done an encounter slash immersion weekend. We have learning to be in the image of God. And we have our encounter weekend foundations, which trust me is not anything simply foundational. It will change you. JT is the person, has got encountered by God, trial attorney, on an encounter weekend, got laid out in the Holy Spirit and God started changing him. And he started growing in God. Not physically, but he started growing in God. It was amazing. Amazing. (laughs) I say that because JT and I are about the same height. He's my brother from another mother. That's one thing. Love you, bro. Um, if, you, if you're interested, come to the back, go to our website, click on events. We'd love to have you. The second thing is that I believe God wants to encounter us today, right now, right here. As I was praying about ministry time, I felt the Lord say encounters. I felt him say there's going to be some healing. I felt him say he's going to come. He's going to land on some people. Some of you are going to uh, experience, know his love, know his presence in a deeper way. And some of us are going to meet him like Saul did. Because as Saul yielded to the work of transformation of the Holy Spirit in his life, he got changed into a new man and he became the Apostle Paul who wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament, who had such a profound effect upon the early church, but it was only because he said yes over and over and over and over and over and over again to the goodness, the kindness of God. So I'm going to invite you. Would you stand up? I'm going to invite our band back up. But I felt the Lord saying, that he wants to encounter us this, this afternoon. It's not limited here, but it can start. So I'm going to ask you, if you would like to encounter him afresh and anew, 
I want you to boldly come out of your seat and come on up to the front. Come out of your seat, come up to the front. And as you're coming up, I want you just to begin to yield yourself to God. We're saying more Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, have more of me. Lord, I want to be incredibly big on the inside. God, I want this to be your home. I want this to be your residence. I want this to be the place where you dwell. Would you have more of me? I surrender my life. I surrender. There are things beginning to flash before your mind that the Lord is inviting you to surrender. I'm going to ask you just to begin saying, yes, God. God, I say yes. God, I say yes to my reputation. God, I say yes to my occupation. God, I say yes to my finances. God, I say yes to my family. God, I say yes to laying them down that I might truly know you, that I might truly walk with you. Come and encounter me afresh and anew this afternoon. Say, come Holy Spirit. Ministry team, you are released. I want you to go around and just put your hands on people's shoulders and heads and begin to pray for encounter. Pray more. Pray more fire, more power, more strength. Ignite group leaders, you're released as well. But we're at the place right now where we are saying yes. Oh, we are saying yes. Maybe some of you are in this room and you're saying, John, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know who I've talked to. You don't know what I've done. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know, but Jesus knows. Because Jesus called a murderer to him. Jesus knows you completely, fully, truly. And our lives will become testaments to the goodness of God. And so in the mighty name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you sweep across our hearts? Would you sweep across our minds? Abba, would you sweep across our bodies? Would you cause love for Jesus to grow in us? Would you anoint us with your power? Would you anoint us with your spirit? Would you anoint us with your goodness, oh God? Or would you bring us into deeper encounters with you today, tomorrow, over this next week? We bless you to encounter and we speak healing into bodies, healing into knees, healing into ankles, healing into bones, healing into minds, healing into families in Jesus' name. I see the Lord touching people's blood and blood disorders going right now. There's literally like, this, he's rewiring some people on the cellular, cellular level. We say, yes, God. We say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come. Come and wash us to you. Come and bring us to you. Lord, you're running after us. Your goodness is running after us. Your goodness is running. You're running, Jesus. You're calling us, Jesus. And we say yes. Oh, we say yes to you. Just raise your hands and begin to declare that, that he is running after, that he is coming after, that he is encountering us. Hey!